Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. That's FreshBooks.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, Canon and Nikon shut down major lens production factories, spying on polar bears, and gambling on faked EXIF data. It's Saturday, March 19, 2011, and this is TWIP. Hey everybody, welcome back to This Week in Photo. This is Alex Lindsay. Frederick is uh, out and about. He's flying around the uh, the globe and uh, was unable to uh, make it for the show. But we've got a great lineup here. Uh, Jeffrey Totaro, from, uh, he's coming in from out, just outside of Philadelphia, right? Uh, that's right, Alex. Yeah, just outside Philly, near uh, right next to Villanova, this little town called Gladwin. And from a stone's throw, from where I am, uh, up here in Petaluma, Thomas Hawk, uh, coming in from the East Bay. Hey, Alex, how are you? Hey, good. Good to talk good. to you again. You too. Uh, and uh, we've got uh, a, a, bunch of, a bunch of very interesting news uh, coming up here uh, to, uh, to cover here. But before we get started, let's uh, thank one of our sponsors. Uh, uh, this, uh, this show is brought to you by FreshBooks. Now, I, have, you guys, um, have you guys heard of FreshBooks? Have you played with FreshBooks at all? Yeah, I've, I've heard of it. So I listened to you on, uh, on MacBreak Weekly, and I've, I've, I've heard about it there. I checked it out real quickly. Uh, it does look, does look very quick and efficient. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, is that a lot of us, uh, as you know, a lot of photographers, a lot of uh, videographers, uh, people who are doing media, uh, a, a lot of times, you know, what we want to do is we want to spend all of our time, you know, working and doing what we do. We, want, we don't want to spend a lot of time figuring out how to invoice. And I know that I was a, you know, a key. I think there's, there's jobs that I still could be paid for, or I'll never be paid for, that I did probably 10 years ago because I... I just didn't get around to invoicing them because <laughs> I couldn't figure out. I didn't want it to look bad, but I didn't want it to, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, and then I just didn't bother. Um, and uh, you know, you know, that's not a good way to run your business. It's not a good. It's not sustainable. You know, not to send send out invoices. And so, so FreshBooks really makes this easy. You can go up there. You can have professional looking invoices. You can email them to your client. You can have them sent by snail mail. Uh, you know, you can have the PDFs. You can even have it set up so that your your clients can use PayPal or eleven other electronic payment services to uh, pay you via their credit card. So. You you don't you all of that stuff can be managed for you um you know there's also additional things that you can do automated late uh payment reminders for your clients so that you don't have to deal with that it just kind of pops in and reminds them that they're uh, they're late and uh it, it also um if you invoice by the hour you can do time tracking and and, and the feature little tie that all into your invoice uh, for you. So it's just a really, really great way to um, kind of stay ahead of that. And remember that, uh, you know, FreshBooks uh, has this crazy uh, special uh, birth cake offer. You could get a birthday, birthday cake. It doesn't have to be your birthday. You can just pretend it's your birthday for the day. Now, we didn't really believe them, but actually someone in the office, um, John Riley, uh, he, he's using FreshBooks for his, uh, his invoicing and uh, he got a cake. He actually, right. A cake actually showed up. The whole office ate it. 
so he didn't we, we, we pretended it was his birthday for the day and so um so you can get a free cake if you uh if you let them know that twip sent you um you know it takes just a couple minutes to set up uh an account you can use for up to three clients and a lot of us when we get started that's all we have is free so you can do all the invoicing you need for up to three clients if you need more it's not that expensive so uh, definitely check that out and um you know definitely go up there go to freshbooks.com sign up get a chance to win your cake and uh, let them know that twip sent you so that we uh you know we get our our uh, our two cents. So uh, so that's, anyway, uh, yeah. Go ahead. That's not pretty cool. I just want to add one thing. It looks like you can also uh, run it off of your iPhone with uh, mini books. Yeah. To- yes. So so you can you can uh, integrate with 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 your iPhone. I mean, and you know what's what's better than being able to manage invoices from your iPhone? So so yeah, that's uh, yeah. It's it's uh, uh, then you can be invoicing as you're going home from the shoot. No, anyway. So uh, uh, so it's it's uh, it's really really great. It, it really you know streams out and, and solidifies something that really is important. It really isn't about how much money you make. It's about when you make it and getting this invoicing stuff uh, really really working uh, is just a key to uh, making your business work. So definitely check out fresh, freshbooks.com. And uh, so here here comes the. Uh, some, some, you know, I mean, this is hard news to talk about. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, of course, we're we're dealing with a lot of the, um, uh, the tragedy that, that's happening right now and unfolding in Japan, and of course, it's affecting a lot of things. I mean, you know, there's a, the most important thing is is that all the people, and they're still dealing with a lot of things. So it almost seems um, minor to talk about this, but we're a photography show, and and a lot of the, um, you know, one of the questions that we've been getting is how does this affect, you know, photography? I mean, how does this affect uh, photographers? And um, uh, and, and one of the things that's happening right now is one thing that I, you know, we've been hearing a lot about the send, you know, Sendai and, and, and all the damage that's happened there. And, uh, one of the things that is, um, you know, happen you know, happened there is a lot of the plants, Nikon's plant is, has a Sendai plant. Uh, Canon is not, uh, not too far away. Uh, so that's in, uh, uh, Utsunoma, it's Utsunomiya, uh, plant, which uh, contributes much of the lens output and appears, uh, uh, has a letter U on the date code. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but 15 workers were injured. Uh, operations have been suspended at the Canon plant. Nikon's um, Sendai plant is uh, it, which produces their pro-level DSLRs, the DS3, the D3X. I'm sorry, the D3S, the D3X, the D700 have all been shut down, uh, and they don't know when they're going to turn them back on again. Now, Nikon and Canon, of course, are also not only are they dealing with that. Of course, they've been contributing heavily to the uh, Re- Japanese Red Cross. Nikon uh, gave 100 million yen, or about one point. Point two five million uh, uh, USD, and Canon uh, is donating uh, three point seven million dollars uh, to the uh, Japanese Red Cross. So, I mean, this is—it's a minor thing compared to all the other things that Japan's going through. But it, it is something that uh, is going to affect us as photographers. Uh, uh, Jeffrey, do you do you think that we're going to end up with? Uh, do, you, do you think this is going to um, affect the flow or pricing of any of the equipment that we deal with? Yeah, I, I definitely think there's going to be a, a supply issue. Uh, I have an engineering background, and I know um, also building instruction. And I know what, what how long it can take to bring a plant to this, uh, you know, to bring it up to spec and go through all the validation processes to make sure that the uh, quality control is right, and just just get everything functioning to the level they need it to function at. So I imagine there'll be probably some pretty lengthy delays in getting getting them back up to production uh, in terms of volume. I don't really see a pricing change. Uh, you know, there might be some pricing implications based on supply of, of parts they buy from other people that maybe were impacted by the uh, by the earthquake and tsunami right but I, I don't see any, uh, I don't see them changing prices in, in in their line just due to their own uh, infrastructure issues but I also do want to want to you know I think it's pretty incredible that, that both Canon and Nikon are 
are donating money when uh, to the disaster relief when they themselves are even part of the disaster in terms of suffering uh, damage and and even employee injuries. Well, I think uh, that, so I think that the the, the 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 tragedy is we've seen a lot of uh, really. Uh, um, uh, great reactions from, I mean, you know, very um, uh, positive reactions from uh, uh, with Nikon and Canon, also Apple. I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know if you saw some of the stories that were coming out. Apple really taking care of all their employees, making sure that people who come to their stores are taken care of, making sure that people are getting whatever whatever they can do, you know, to make it actually happen. And so it is really great to see these these uh, uh, these companies, uh, you know, really stepping up and making sure that they can do whatever they can. Um, mm-hmm. To make that, yeah, it, it is nice seeing them uh, participate. Obviously, the human tragedy and all of this is, uh, you know, is, is really the worst thing. But right. one of the things that I'm that I'm that I am uh, curious about also is is the, uh, and this is unrelated to supplies. But one of the things that we've seen is obviously we've seen a lot of photo, photos coming back from what's happening there, and uh, it is, you know, I think that we're starting to see this this change where, and, and this is happening, I think, in the Middle East as well as. In Japan, where you're seeing an enormous amount of quote-unquote amateur photos that are that are ending up, you know, in the press, uh, ending up uh, as the main. And we've always had amateurs out, you know, shooting stuff. But it seems like this is starting to intensify, both from a video and a still perspective. Um, Do you think that the uh, explosion of of these uh, much less expensive uh, equipment, digital cameras, and so on and so forth, are really changing how a lot of these things are covered? Oh, I think I think it is absolutely. I mean, the first place you go online these days, uh, you know, someplace like Flickr or just Google searches or news searches, and you find, you know, you find some of the earliest best pictures. Um, I, I do think it's unfortunate. Uh, there was an incident, at least in the Middle East, where uh, an Egyptian blogger, Arabe, who who had posted some pictures of some uh, Egyptian secret police, and they were censored off the web, off of Flickr. Flickr removed them. But I think you know, I think you'll see more and more activism on the web. Activists using it as well. It's photos are so powerful. Now, why did Flickr remove it? Uh, Flickr removed it. They said they took it down because it wasn't quote his own work. And they got a, they got a, there was a lot of backlash that came out of that because you know if you Flickr is full of photos that are people's not their own work. I mean, right. it, not to mention things like the Smithsonian and this and that. But you know even. Flickr employees themselves have photos in their streams that aren't their own work, and right. so they did. They did take a little bit of a heat on online for it. Um, Andy Carvin uh, had been retweeting a lot about it, and um, you also had uh, you know people like Clay Shirky that had tweeted it. And um, but you know it's it's an unfortunate situation, um, you know, because we're talking about a human rights activist exposing torturers on the <laughs> right. you know on a on a photo site, so. I think it's an unfortunate situation, but Flickr officially chalked it up to sort of a technicality why they removed them. So they kind of took the uh, the safe route for them, I guess, to some degree. Yeah, I think that's probably what it was. I mean, you know, they they're I, I've been a big opponent of censorship on Flickr for a while, but uh, you know, I look at a situation like that, and it's you know, to me, it's a no brainer. You know, here you have right. a pro democracy activist who's using Flickr in a really great way to change the world um and he gets censored and, and so, also taking taking is you know one of the things about it when we you know we have to remember that it's one thing for us to take pictures at a at a parade or something here in the united states uh some of these photos that get posted people are putting their life at risk to put these up online oh you know absolutely I mean? that's yeah, absolutely yeah. and I, I think that's how a lot of this is changing you're you're getting these first-hand 
um, images, uh, you know, from from the field, from the battlefield. Um, you know, there's a, a number of uh, soldiers as well that I've seen photographs from uh, in places like Afghanistan. And, you know, some of the, uh, you know, authenticity that you get of some of these photos is, is amazing. But they are very dangerous. And, you know, what they're doing is very dangerous. Um, yeah. Jeffrey, do you think that, mm-hmm. that uh, is this something that, um, where do you think that these photos fit in com- uh, compared to the professional photographers that are out there? How do, how do you think that this adds or subtracts from what, what other people are doing, the, the professional photojournalist? Well, I, I think uh, photojournalists have always been known, and, and I'm no photojournalist, but um, uh, they've always been known for, for being more, more embedded and getting more of the full story of any given situation. So I think what the sort of amateur level stuff in terms of um, you know the videos and and other other photographs, they're the things that are going to pop up you know maybe first on CNN or any of the other other news agencies. But then I think you go back, you know, after a little bit of time passes, then you find that the photojournalists have been there shooting the whole time, and they're coming back with a, a little bit more of a fluid story. They might be following one one family, or they might be in, in one particular area, and I think that's where because they can dedicate more of the time. They may have better access, or at least they just know how to get the access because that's what they do for a living. So I think you're going to just find more thorough stories. And I think you see that across a lot of news agencies. That's what they're trying to do is because uh, they need to sort of reinvent themselves a little bit. Well, uh, and I, you know, I, I have to admit that I'm, I tend to be a little jaded <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in this. I'm, I'm in uh, – I often, uh, in, in some areas, I often end up in the news. And, um, <laughs> and so when I, when, I, when I see myself on, you know, in newspaper articles or, or, uh, or TV interviews and so on and so forth, when I look at what they cut out, it seems so inaccurate. You know, my view, my view oftentimes is that these reporters, I'm like, they'd be better off just, just having some guy just shoot me. You know, I've, I've had amateurs take better interviews of me, sure. you know, uh, than, than the, uh, than the, because they, they actually know the subject matter. You know, I think that one of the challenges for photojournalists when they come into a new location is oftentimes they don't know the language. Uh, they don't, they, they know what the outside view of what the interactions are between people, but it's, it's oftentimes a lot more complicated than, um, than what it looks like from the outside. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, the the amateurs. Uh, I mean, sometimes you get more authentic photos than what you get from the pros these days. Mm-hmm. And it's just changed. I mean, now nowadays, I mean, HD cameras are everywhere. <laughs> you know, I mean, HD cameras or or, or high definition cameras are, are something that anybody can have. And obviously, that there's a there's a lot of there's a big jump in the level of quality, and as you said, thoroughness that that oftentimes comes with, um, you know, with this pass. I I I. I I looked at um, one of the things that I think, and it's not as it's somewhat for, for photography, but also for video. Is when you look at the new iPad two that has, you know, iMovie two on it or our iMovie on it, and it has the uh, like when you finish your edited movie, it literally has a button to send it to CNN iReport. Wow. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, it's that's like so cool. you can you can shoot and edit your little thing on your iPad and then just plug it straight into YouTube or iReport or wherever you want. Uh, directly from your iPad, and I just thought that that was just an amazing, you know, shift, and and we, you know, um, to have that completely, the news agencies having a direct link to that process. I think that that for, you know, for me, what it looks like, you know, for, and I think this is generally the case right now. We're in a, you know, we used to be in an industry, I think, twenty years ago, where being relatively good, and you were the only one with all the equipment, and now you really have to be really at the top of your game mm-hmm. to to stay busy. You know, because, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, if you're, I think that the, the best photographers are generally un, unaffected by a lot of this. 
you know, they're, they have a lot of things, you know, they have a lot of contacts, they have a lot of obviously talent and history and, and experience and things that are there. I think that the people just getting into it need to know that they need to get to that top level uh, and, uh, and really be doing something far above just showing up with a camera. Uh, even if you, even if you have a fair bit of skill and talent is, is oftentimes not going to be enough to compete with, you know, people who are, you know, naturally, quote unquote, naturally embedded, <laughs> you know, right. in that situation and have the, ca- have cameras that can shoot, you know, high quality. The other thing that, that is interesting is that, that the, what you need for images that work are going down because we're, we're looking at less and less print material. So as we go back to screens, I mean, you know, a two megapixel, three megapixel, five megapixel image becomes more, uh, much more usable. Sure. You know, in that process. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. Now, speaking of, of uh, embedded, this is, this is about as embedded as it gets. Um, uh, these are, this is a spy cam on ice. So uh, uh, John, um, uh, and this is from the Daily Mail, uh, this is, uh, John Downer uh, had three, has three, he has these three types of cameras that, um, that track the lives of two mother bears as they lead their cubs across the Arctic uh, uh, in, in, in Norway to uh, search for seals and, and all kinds of other things. Now, he, um, descri- he, he basically descri- um, disguises these cameras as a lump of snow. I don't know if you guys saw the cove. Did you anyone mm-hmm. see the cove? Yeah, I did. It was great. Yeah, yeah so, so some guys I knew actually built those rocks, and so they put these cameras inside of rocks and put them all around this cove. This was a dolphin um, uh, documentary and, um, and you know, kind of hid them uh, everywhere to get this stuff. And he's kind of taken it into this. He's got a four-wheel drive with Tundra wheels, and it looks like, you know, it, it, and it largely looks like a, um, and the Blizzard cam has, has um, propellers. Uh, it can reach speeds of up to 37 miles an hour. And, um, and the Iceberg cam is uh, waterproof to maneuver between sheets of ice and so on and so forth. And so the, the goal here is, of course, to get, you know, these, these behind the, um, uh, behind the scenes shots. Now, it doesn't always work. They had he has uh, pictures of uh, an, uh, you know he's a two hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment, and he has a picture. He has some pictures that are up on the Daily Mail of uh, a polar bear taking you know disassembling one for him. Yeah, um, that's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> and just tearing it apart. <laughs> look yeah. What I found here, this doesn't look like a seal. So yeah, uh, it's like, it's like <laughs> your, your your family dog Christmas morning, just getting under the uh, Christmas tree and start tearing the things apart. Yeah, well, yeah. The photo the photos are pretty cool though. I mean, there's some got some great photos with those. Oh, I think that they're fantastic. I think that yeah. this is, you know, I think that this is a great um, view of, of where, you know, some of this photography is going is that the um, is being able to get into all these places. And I think we see this with uh, GoPro, you know, the video, the video stuff that you were yeah. saying. Yeah, that's what I was going to suggest. I do all my polar bear shooting with GoPros. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a great site, uh, Smithsonian Wild. Uh-huh. online where they set camera traps and it's all sort of this uh you know jungle nature uh, you know animal stuff that basically in all the photos you know i think they have something like two hundred thousand photos on there but they're all set by camera traps where the animals trigger the camera and they've, they've got some i'm surprised at how good some of this stuff is i'm always looking for nine you know i, I want yeah. nine images you know like it's <laughs> like sometimes because when you look at the when you look at them in the smithsonian they they uh they have all the is it smithsonian uh, yeah, Smithsonian. Yeah, uh, they have these little numbers next to them, and that's the number of images that were shot yeah. in that in that trap. And right. two is just kind of like, oh, it's here, and then it's there, and then it's gone. And you know, that's, right. ah, that's fine. But then when you get up to like six or eight or nine, then you can see them kind of hopping around, and you get kind of a sense of what that what was going on there. Yeah, uh, it's interesting the technology and the way photographers are using it. Yeah, you know, it used to be you you had to take the picture for it to be your picture, and now it's yeah, you know, all kinds of different ways to use photography. Well, and I think that it, it is uh, one of the and one of the things that we'll, we'll, we'll get Richard Harrington back on to talk about because I think that there is um, there's also something in when we start changing not only the position of the camera but also the peer, the the um, 
the period that it's covering. So, and this is like between, I just find slow motion and time lapse to be just fascinating. Yeah, it you is. Know, mm-hmm. it, you know, because it's just like this, uh, you, you see things that in both ends of the spectrum that you just wouldn't notice, um, you know, when, when in real time. You know, when you speed things up or slow things down, it just seems like there's this uh, thing that shows up. And, and in this case, it's getting into places that are, um, uh, you know, that you couldn't, that you probably wouldn't want to try to get into, uh, you know, take, you're taking your life into your own hands. Now, the question is, uh, and this is a question for you, Jeffrey, do you, do you mm-hmm. think these are authentic? I mean, people wonder whether, you know, you start taking these little machines and running them in. Does this create a, a more authentic, less authentic uh, view of natural shots from, uh, from the subjects? Well, I guess it's authentic in terms of, um, well, I guess they, you, you go back to how it used to be done and you'd have, you know, just, you know, people out there with cameras hiding behind icebergs and, and, and whatnot just to be able to, to, to not be seen by these creatures. So I think it's very legitimate that you can use the technology to, 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 to bring a, a camera or several cameras into the environment. And they're trying to be less invasive and trying not to disrupt the animals. But there is always the, the possibility that somehow they're causing the animals stress. But I think if it's there for a short period of time. You know, I, don't, uh, I don't know exactly how long uh, these cameras were in place, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong. I think it's just using the, the uh, technology to be able to get some, to be able to get some more, more photos. And I think the end goal of any of these photos and projects is really to help the animals. Well, and I, I always think it's fascinating. When I go to some areas, I've, I've done a lot of safari shooting because I spend a lot of time in Africa. And I, uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, I always think it's funny because you take these photos and they look like you're in the middle of nowhere and they don't realize you're shooting from a Jeep on a, on a, on a uh, you know on a road, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and and these you know, and sometimes you get out of the jeep and you go a little further. But usually the guys, I mean, obviously the photographers that are shooting for National Geographic and everything else are getting out. Um, but you can take a lot of photos that look really, really, you know, like, it just looks like you were in the middle of the savanna, you know, <laughs> um, and and you were shooting and you're not, and, and the guy won't let you get out of the jeep because you're too close to where the lions are, you know, you know, right, and, right. And, and he'll lose <laughs> yeah, his job you, if you get eaten, you know. Yeah, if you got that really close up picture, you must have been in a pretty scary situation. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do think I think it's great though that the how we think about photography can change like that. That it can become something that's not just push the shutter. Um, I mean, uh, what was his name? Michael Wolf got an honorable mention for the World Press this year for you know basically curating Google Street View photos. You right. know that he, he found and submitted them. I mean, the whole nature of what is photography seems to be changing. You know, from hiding behind a rock and taking a picture of an animal to camera traps or remote control units or all of it. I think it's great. Well, and a lot of this has opened up. What's funny is, is that a lot of this, uh, I think people oftentimes don't realize, a lot of this is paid for by, you know, military dollars. <laughs> you know, all these, yeah. little, all these tiny little cameras that are in our, that are in our iPhones, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, didn't, that wasn't paid for by, you know, Nikon or Canon. You know, that was paid for the, by the Department of Defense. <laughs> or, or more importantly, the CIA. Um, I remember when, when they got de- declassified in the, in the uh, late 90s, and my friends were talking about them. They were like, these, these things just got declassified. You can just put them anywhere. I mean, they're like tiny little cameras, and you can put them in your, you know, you, can, you know they've been using them for the last 15 years or 20 years, but you can put them in your, in your buttons and all kinds, and no one knew what to do with them. They were just like these spy cameras, you know. And, um, and, well, same uh, with they, GPS, right? You know, GPS came from the military, so. GPS is just there so we can um so we know where to send missiles yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This, and uh, this, and drones the cia just started the Flickr account a couple months ago <laughs> is that right oh. yeah it's got all kinds of pictures of their bugs and their tracking so it's kind of interesting but nice. is it sort of like propaganda like like this is what we're using to, to look at you so don't so don't try anything <laughs> no, that, you know, if, the, if it's on their Flickr feed i'm guessing this is what we used 20 years ago to look right at you, right yeah no it's i'm sure it's not their, their current stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. so the um anyway so uh next story uh talking about uh fakery 
Uh, we have um, this is uh, this is actually from uh, New York Times David Pogue's uh, David Pogue's article. He was talking about shooting, spending an afternoon with Tom Bear, uh, who we should get on the on the show at some point in time. Um, but uh, he was uh, one of the things he was talking about. He was dealing with a stock photography uh, company who rejected uh, Tom's submissions because they uh, didn't meet the company's minimum resolution requirements. Um, all the photos had to be, uh, for example, 10 megabits or higher. Um, Tom knew that his five megapixel photos were just fine, and so what he did is he brought them into a uh, an SLR, pasted in the low res, and dragged it um, out bigger so that it would fill. I'm not sure exactly how he processes. I mean, it's the, essentially what he did is, was manipulated the EXIF data um, so that uh, it would it would fool the stock agency into thinking that it was a. Um, uh, it was larger, and so um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway the. Um, the question, of course, is, is I, you know, I, I don't know whether the question really is, is that is the, uh, you know, the question we had here was, was the doc, was the photographer right to do this? I mean, was it was it OK to uh, to stretch this? Um, I, I, I'm a little hesitant to say that it was OK. Yeah, you know, I, I so agree. So. I'm a little on the fence on this one, too, I think. Uh, and I, I guess that's the way that they evaluate them is by the exit data, because you could take it a, a, a maybe a substandard image in terms of resolution that that's maybe below their spec. And you could. You could just increase the resolution in Photoshop and have a file size that might meet their spec. But if they're actually just looking at the EXIF data and maybe what camera it was shot with, then then it might fail. So the the method he used by by copying one of his photos into a file that was taken with an appropriate camera um, definitely seems like a, a workaround. Um, but. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think Pogue uh, was kind of bringing it up in the context of this sort of, quote, megapixel myth. And, you know, do more megapixels actually matter and do they make that much of a difference? And um you know, in a large regard, you know, smaller megapixel photos can look just fine, particularly on a computer screen or, you know, even in a magazine uh, or something like that. But the only thing where I I have a problem with it is I think when you when you're first of all contractually when you're working with somebody like that, I think there's an ethical thing to disclose. Really, well, this is what I've given you is what I've said it is. But um, you know, there can be other uses in stock photography. I think one of the reasons why they have these sometimes these megapixel limits is you know what if somebody's going to blow this thing up and put it on a billboard or crop it. Yeah, or crop it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I know, I know. I do. Um, I do a lot of printing myself, and I recently bought a Epson printer that can go up to forty-four inches. And uh, you know, I see a difference on higher megapixel images when I'm printing them that big. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, no, and, and I think that it's a, uh, I do think that there's a lower, you know, uh, threshold to some degree uh, when it comes to the way people look at photos today than, than what, than, than, you know, as far as printing them out. But as a stock and agency, I mean, how do you, you got to make some kind of, uh, you got to create some kind of standard that like yeah. has to be this big and we have to be able to sort it in some way, shape or form uh, to make that work. I, I will agree that, uh, you know, when I, when I, uh, have an opportunity to talk to camera manufacturers or their representatives. I mean, I I've become kind of a broken record that you know I want light sensitivity over megapixels every sure. day. You sure. know, like mm-hmm. you know, all I want is is a uh, hi- highly sensitive sensor, and uh, I'm quite happy with you know I, I would be quite happy with 12 megapixels if they could give me a you know uh, high you know and, and that's what I think Nikon kind of went down you know went that direction. Yeah. And uh, and and as a Canon user, I, I keep on looking over there, just going, "Oh, it's so nice." <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, look, I feel like people are shooting in the middle of the dark. And and to me, especially, what what I find fascinating is is that 
is that, uh, you know, we see this at the high end of the Nikon cameras. Um, the place that I think it makes more of a difference than any other is actually consumer cameras, you know, because these are average, you know, these are folks who are shooting pictures of their family inside, you know, right. or in bad situations. And, and it seems like, you know, you don't need to give them 10 megapixels or 15 megapixels. They really are just mostly just putting them on screens or putting them on, you know, other things. I mean, a large portion of these photos are printing them on little five by sevens. Yeah. And, um, and, and so the thing is, is that, you know, you'd, you'd be much better off giving a consumer a six megapixel camera with, that, that's super sensitive. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yes. For, for most use for most, what most people are going to do is they're going to look at their pictures on a screen on a these days and for those purposes you, you don't need a lot of megapixels but you know but if you are going to print it up large if you're going to be making you know 44 inch prints or bigger uh then it, then it can make a difference I have, mm-hmm. to say, I have to say someone asked me i have a laser printer you know in my house yeah and um i use it to print forms and and tracking markers and you know all kinds of stuff for for, for visual effects and and um and they were like well how does it print photos i'm like i have no idea how it prints photos <laughs> I, was like, I was like i was like you know i i, I uh my wife my wife my, my, my mother and my mother-in-law like photos like they yeah. like the pick pieces of paper yeah. and um and i'm like yeah i don't really use trees for my viewing you know you know i don't you know it's just not i'm a treeless uh viewer you know i uh i have screens everywhere i mean literally everywhere and um my my wife's favorite thing is to look at all of our photos on our apple tv too you know um mm. we put our screen share you know what that i just, do the same thing i got two of them <laughs> oh i mean it's just like it is like the ultimate uh you know i as soon as i got an apple tv too and put it on um uh, anyway, I'll talk about that later because that's it's going to ruin something later. So anyway, so but it's <laughs> it's um uh, anyway it's it's a great uh, it's a great way to view them. So oh, it is. Last story. Well, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was going to say one thing that 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 worries me a little bit. And trust me, I'm a I'm a big proponent of all things digital. But I do see like like we have one friend, and she's probably the only one that 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 I noticed that she prints out almost every picture she takes from vacations and things, and she still makes photo albums. And I think that that's really good because I find that. So many people have all these you know, really valuable pictures of their kids and things, and they're just on their cell phone, and then the cell phone gets, you know, dropped in the snow or run over by a car or something like that. And then uh, a lot of people aren't very regimented about backing things up and oh, having yeah. any kind of archive of these things. And I just worry that, you know, no one's going to be able to pull out that picture of their kid when they were two years old, well, uh, you know, you, 20 years from now. Yeah, the funny thing is, is that we, uh, so I, you know, and I'm, I'm uh, maniacal about backup. So I have mm-hmm. robos and I have stuff in different locations and, and um, things on the cloud. And, you know, I have all, the, you know, of, of the, especially the family photos, yeah. you know, they're everywhere. And, um, but the, um, the interesting thing is, is that my, so my, my wife and I, uh, I, you know, I have been traveling a lot. So I stacked up all these miles and all these free hotel rooms with hotels.com and, and, um, and so I finally, you know, I just, my wife's birthday was coming up. And so I just used a whole bunch of points and a whole bunch of free hotel rooms and everything else. And, and so I, we, we lavishly went to St. Martin with, you know, on points, you know, and, uh, and, um, and we shot all these photos and while we were there, well, you know, when my wife was asleep, I sleep a lot less than my wife. Um, uh, while we were there every morning in the early morning, I would, I would build this book in iPhoto, you know? And so I, I took all the photos from the day before and then I put them all in and I put little comments on them and I put the stuff all together and uh, and then on the way home, you know, as soon as we got real bandwidth, um, I uploaded it, and uh, and within a week, I had it, you know, printed book, you know, mm. from Apple. Uh, of, Isn't that amazing? And and it was That's like, great. and it was like this great book. My wife just loves it. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. she's going, you know, she was just like, oh my goodness, and she was so excited about this book that that I printed. And now what we've done is we've decided that like our trips now, because it's always hard to get her to wait for the photos, you know, like for me to take pictures. 
Mm-hmm. But now the context is, here's the deal. We're making, making the, the, we're making the book. <laughs> like, like the trip is making the book. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so we're going to pose and do all the funny things and, and do whatever we need to do so that we can have a great book at, at the end of this, you know, and, um, and of whatever we were doing. And, and, and it's like this this big thing. And she's totally enrolled, you know, in this idea that that we're going to um, you know make this great book because she loves. So there is something about printing these that that um, especially when you do them around a birth or I did. I print a book around uh, my my son's birth and um, someday I'll do one around our wedding. <laughs> Someday I got, I got 3000 photos. Um, so, um, uh, but the point is, is that I do see that there's a, there's a real value in that, in that printing process. Um, and I, and, uh, and, and I think that, you know, doing things like printing these books, I, I don't know if I'd really want to put together a photo album, but printing the books is, is a lot of fun. And there's a lot of different services that do that. Yeah, and things do look so much better when they're in print. I think you know, I look, you know, I buy a lot of photography books, and and even some of lately. What you know, we did a couple of books in this Flickr group I'm in with Blurb last year, and uh, you know, even on something like that, self-publishing these days, the quality is so high. It's so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was amazed. I mean, there's a little yeah. bit of aliasing here and there on some of the when they rotate the photos. Yeah, you know, on the hard edges, like you know, and I don't, I just ruined it for somebody who has books. Um, it's not. It's the kind of thing that you probably wouldn't notice normally. It's something that I notice because. Aliens right. drives me crazy. So, um, yeah. but, uh, but in general, I just thought that it was, um, you know, it's just, and it's just, it's so easy. Yeah. You know, that was the other thing is that, especially in iPhoto, you're just sitting there, you just, iPhoto and Aperture, you just kind of drag stuff. You, you like literally just kind of drag, they, they have all the formats and you go, oh, I don't like that page. And you change a couple things and you throw more photos in. And then you type some things in, you put some funny comments and, and, um, and it's just, it really transforms, you know, that whole experience. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so I don't know what we were saying there, but anyway, so the last story <laughs> here, uh, Canon, uh, is, is threatened. I don't know if this is really gonna happen. This is the rumor is Canon is talking about Thunderbolt. Now, have you guys seen much of Thunderbolt? Oh, yeah. I, I've read a lot about it. It oh. sounds amazing. It sounds fantastic. So excited yeah, about so it. Hopefully it'll come, come to market in, in, in all the glorious spec that it uh, promises. Yeah. So, so to, to back up for the listeners, Thunderbolt is, um, it's basically built on, uh, in, uh, Intel technology and I believe it's light pipe, um, that is, uh, and, um, uh, so what, what the, uh, you know, what Thunderbolt is in, in the first place it's showing up is on uh, the new laptops that Apple has released. But we expect to see it on everything. I mean, it's, it's an Intel technology. It'll be on PCs. It'll be everywhere in the next year and a half or two years. Uh, and um, the, the big thing is, is that USB 3 runs at about five and a half uh, megabits per, uh, gigabits per second. And uh, light, uh, Thunderbolt runs at about 10, mega, uh, 10 uh, gigabits uh, per second. Uh, and that's it's fast. It's fast. One point five gigabytes a second. You know, and to give you an idea, your internal drive uh, on your uh, on your computer, if if it's if it's a fast drive, is probably fifty five megabytes a second. So that would be you know one twelfth, uh, <laughs> or I'm sorry, one twenty fifth the the speed of of what this cable can do. And um, and so what you can do is you can you can also stack up up to six six items on on this um, uh, platform. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff that they're talking about right now, as far as connections, LaCie is coming out with this little big drive or is it a little yeah. big disc. Um, that's yeah, a little big drive. Yeah. Two SSD, two SSD drives, RAID zero. Um, and they, they're, the test units are getting 700 megabytes a second. That's the video implications are huge. The what? The video implications. Video in- implications and also, um, photo editing for very large photos. So um, one of the things, because now you're really talking, one of the reasons that, that I use a, um, 
uh, one of the reasons I have a Mac Pro for my for Aperture. Are you guys using Aperture or Lightroom? Just out of curiosity. Uh, Lightroom three for me. Lightroom, Jeffrey. Uh, I actually use uh, uh, Phase One's uh, Capture One Pro. Oh yeah, yeah I, that's great. I shoot medium format, and uh, that's the only system I, I can use. I'm very happy to use. It. I really like it a lot. No, absolutely. So, um, but w- w- whatever piece that you're using when you're when you're dealing with these big images, one of the reasons that I have a Mac Pro is so that I can have a RAID. You know, so I have this fast RAID that is connected to my um, uh, and my, my my library sits on it. So that means my photos come up faster, my previews are written faster, my uh, edits are done faster. Everything is faster, you know, because it's able to do that read write a lot faster. And yeah. uh, it's not something that there's just been no way to do that with a with a laptop because the fastest connection you had, unless you had a 17 inch and you used an express card, there was no way to get that kind of connection to a drive. And, um, and so now what we're looking at is, you know, this revolution of these drives and interfaces and everything else that are going to be super fast. And it means, I think it really is going to transform the way we think of laptops. I mean, I, I am hard pressed to think of a, of a need that a photographer is going to have. I mean, the, uh, unless you're doing extremely high resolution or extremely complex work, uh, it's going to be very hard for a photographer to argue to get more than a laptop. Well, it makes mm-hmm. a, the MacBook Pro really, I think, more and more the ultimate laptop for the photographer. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I mean, it, coming out, seeing it first there. I mean, that's uh, I I use a MacBook Pro right now. It's mm-hmm. my basically my primary machine. But you know, they get better and better. But with these, and you know, also not just the um, for drives and stuff. I mean, I I'm looking forward to seeing more you know RAID arrays and Drobo and other people start dealing with this stuff if they can get the internal internals fast enough too. But um, but something like a card reader. I mean, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if, however Canon does, if they put it on for video or for whatnot, I mean, just to be able to have a uh, a card reader that uses Thunderbolt, uh, you know, the jump, when I switched to a the Firewire 800 card reader from just a USB, I mean, the this speed and transfer speeds is immense. And just imagine Thunderbolt on a card reader. Well, yeah, and, and you're, you're going to really, Thunderbolt will definitely make sure that you're getting to a point where it's going as fast as the card is going. Yeah. You know, you're you're, you're right. going to be able to pull it off as fast. And those cards, especially when you're looking at the new, uh, SD cards that are coming yeah. out that are super fast and super large and um, you know that that's going to become more and more of an issue when you're talking about 120 128 gigabyte um, SD cards yeah. that uh, uh, you, you you need them to read fast <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to be there for a long time so um, I remember we built our first raid it was 120 uh, gigabytes and that was just <laughs> massive it was like this massive raid um uh, that we that we uh, that we had to capture for our high end cameras and so it's uh, so we'll see canon is 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 the rumor is well canon's statement is we are excited about thunderbolt technology and feel that it brings new levels of performance and simplicity to the video creation market so they're not really talking yet about still cameras but they are definitely talking about um you know starting to add these it it, it would be very interesting to see it's it's um uh, I guess one of the questions is, is how this will compete against USB 3.0. USB 3.0 has just started to to uh, get out there, mm-hmm. and um, and now you know it's got a competitor that's twice as fast. You know, yeah. I mean, I think it blows it out of the water. I mean, I think Thunderbolt. I think that's the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. The new um, the new Phase One uh, digital backs that were just announced to be released in a few months. They they're incorporating the USB three, and. Um, you know, it'd be nice to see if they if they uh, can quickly incorporate this Thunderbolt technology as well. Uh, and uh, uh, quite honestly, I'd be happy to see uh, FireWire 800 disappear because it's um it's a pretty junky physical connection to the computer. We're it's constantly a really having, junky physical. It I mean, burns that out was a all major, the time. major step backwards as far as I'm concerned because um, yeah. we went from because the, the back I shoot um, requires FireWire 400 
And but that was always a very physically stable connection. It didn't didn't pop out of the computer in the eight hundred. I seem to have to change cables like every month because it just starts to wear just enough where it'll just slip out on its own just from the weight of the cable. Yeah, and, I, I, we've had problems with eight hundred connections on both our portable drives and our computers burning out. You know that's been the <laughs> that's been the big the big problem that we've had. Um, you know as we as we kind of go through that. So it's uh, it it does look like they're having a little trouble with it. I mean the reports are there's some sporadic issues right now with the Thunderbolt. If if I was a if if uh, you got just just got excited listening to us talk about it, my suggestion uh, generally when when given I buy I I probably own almost every you know <laughs> computer our company owns almost every computer Apple has released in the last five years you know you know it's yeah. you know we just kind of slowly you know we have all the laptops and all the and we're constantly experimenting with them and using them for different things and everything else and um, one thing I've learned is that when they come out with something that is a big structural change from what they did before, so there's a big pipeline change, a big bus change, a big whatever they did, you really want to wait till they release point two. Yeah. You know, like, you know, there's, there's, right. there's a lot of like, there'll be weird screen. Typically what'll happen is there's odd screen issues. There'll be weird transfer issues. There'll be weird connection issues. There'll be things that, that you know, you'll, you'll, they'll, Apple will stand behind it. You'll take it back in and they'll replace it. And they'll give you a new motherboard or they'll give you a new whatever. It's not like the, that you'll be stuck with it, but it's just a lot of headaches, you know, and um, I'm waiting until the summer, you know, I'm, and, and my whole thing is I can't use Thunderbolt right now. Like there's nothing there for me to use. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm really waiting and I think we're going to see some of the first stuff coming out uh, at NAB, which is not a photography conference, but uh, um, it's the, uh, it's the big video conference, but I think we're going to start seeing stuff there and, um, from companies like Blackmagic and other and other companies, I'm hoping. So we'll, yeah, I'm uh, not I'm not rushing out to buy a new MacBook Pro either. I mean, I, my, the one I've got's fine, but I am excited. You know, in the next six months, a year, two years, in terms of what this means for for uh, for laptops, especially. Yeah, yeah. Once uh, once you get the full impl- implementation of having um, the SSD drives uh, becoming much more common in the laptops and not not an expensive upgrade, then you can really take advantage of this. Because right now, everything's just held up by the spinning hard drive in terms of its write speed. Oh, once yeah, once I mean, you take I, that out of the equation, then, then it really becomes awesome. I'm getting ready to upgrade all my la- the laptops that I use all to SSD because I just can't take the the drive spin anymore. You yeah, know, like that's you, nice. Once you get used to it, once you get used to an SSD drive, you just like, oh, I can't believe sure. it. You, I, do you I, use that, Thomas, do you use that in your laptop? You know, I, I, I would love to. Uh, my MacBook Pro is about a year and a half old, and uh, so it's it's got a it's got a 500 gigabyte actual drive in there, uh, one of the faster faster drives, but still it's, um, you know, SSD still is so expensive, though. I mean, yeah, really the, the, the 500 gigabyte upgrade from Apple, I can't remember. I think it's something like $800 or something. Or I mean, it's, it's still quite expensive to, to go that route. I, I'm really hoping that when the time's right for me to upgrade, uh, there'll be a combination of Thunderbolt working really well and the SSD prices coming down, hopefully. Well, and I, I think for me, what I've been kind of going towards is, is I just finally gave up and realized I just can't keep the stuff on my laptop. And so, um, you know, almost everything now is all on external drives. You know, yeah. I just, I, you know, I just move everything off. And so there's only my applications and core services. And if I'm on a trip, they'll be like the trip photos, right. <laughs> you know, right. and, and, and when I get home, I'm going to merge those into my, my, my uh, larger library. And yep. then I'm going to clear my computer again because I just can't keep, you know, I keep my core presentations. I keep my, but all that stuff is also on, on some kind of external drive that I usually keep around. Um, I just kind of gave up. And then that allowed me to have smaller drives, 256 meg or 256 gig drives. Yeah. Um, you know, because it just doesn't, uh, uh, because I just, I just stopped trying to keep it all on the computer because it just doesn't, it didn't work. It's well, also I, just, it, what's great also is that I, I haven't had, I mean, knock on wood, I haven't had my computer stolen, but it takes a lot of pressure off of it. You know, if I'm afraid that um, if someone's going to steal my computer, there's not a lot on it. 
Right. Yeah, I do the same thing. I keep, yeah, I keep uh, everything. I've got five Drobos in there. It's all on those. And, uh, you know, the archive as well as the photos to be processed. And only the photos that I'm working with at any given time will be on the, will be on the uh, MacBook's hard drive. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we're going to jump into our picks for a week. So, guys, uh, get ready for picks for the week, picks of the week, uh, and whatever your pick might be. And uh, but before we do that, I want to thank our other sponsor, um, Squarespace.com. Squarespace.com, of course, is the fast and easy way to publish your high quality website or blog. Uh, you can create a website that is uniquely you, but you don't have to know all the HTML and all the coding and everything else to get it off the ground. Now, if you want to display your photos from Flickr, if you want to have a blog about what you're doing, um, if you want to have, uh, you know, the uh, you know tweets. And, and RSS feeds, all of that stuff is stuff that you can do. In fact, um, photography related on Squarespace, if you go to uh, familiarlight.squarespace.com, um, this is my sister's um, uh, my sister's blog, and uh, she put this all together. Uh, my sister <laughs> uh, is not uh, techie, <laughs> so she's not. She's a photographer, um, and she loves taking photos. And uh, what she did is she... she a lot of people have been asking her to take to, to talk, a lot of people ask her questions about how to take photography of kids and of her kids uh, of their kids um and uh and of all the things that she does and so um and she's just a you know she's an incredible family photographer and photographer in general and so um so she decided she was going to put together this uh this blog and um and so but she doesn't know anything about i mean she knows nothing <laughs> about the web about any of this stuff and um, and so she just decided to go up to squarespace and kind of put this together and so familiarlight.com and, and and what she did is she's got photos up there that are um and she kind of describes she'll describe what she was thinking but she also has a little technical information like this is how i did this and this is what i took and this is the camera i used and and um, and so it's kind of a fun little one, but it gives you a great example of someone who's really a photographer and not really a techie person um, putting together a very nice looking site um, that allow you know allows her to kind of express what she wanted to express uh, without having to deal with all the the technical stuff. And so and you have a lot of you know there are uh, literally you know hundreds of different templates to uh, to choose from. Uh, you can customize those. Then you can pick the ones you like. Uh, there's blog modules, forums, photo galleries, form builders, Google Maps. Uh, you know all kinds of stuff that you can kind of plug into this stuff. So definitely check it out. Go to your get a free trial. You go to squarespace.com slash twip. That's squarespace.com slash TWIP. You don't need a credit card. All you need to do, you know, you can just start building it. And for 14 days, you'll be able to uh, run it and see if this is something for you. So you don't have to believe me. Just go up there, give it a shot, and uh, and see if um, this is a way that will work for you. Once again, squarespace.com slash twip. Now we're ready for our picks of the week. Uh, Thomas, do you have a good pick for us? Yeah, so my pick is Hotbox. Hotbox? Uh, Hotbox, Hotbox, yeah. It's a, a group on Flickr. It's a new group. Uh, just started about uh, three or four weeks ago. It's under groups. Just uh, uh, HBU is the ticker under, is the symbol under the group. So just Flickr slash groups slash HBU. Uh, they also have a blog, uh, which is htbx.org. And it's a great site. It's a new community of photographers. Uh, I'm involved with it. Um, Ivan Markarov, who's a great photographer and, and photo blogger and has a blog as well, is, is, is maintaining the blog. Uh, we're doing publishing books, publishing magazines, uh, going to open up a photography-related theme park, major motion picture. All nice. I really <laughs> want to throw <laughs> I wonder what a, 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 a theme park for photographers would, uh, would look like. I bet they'd allow photography. That would be, man. I, I got to think about that. 
Yeah, anyway, no, sorry. it's it's a it's a great new group on Flickr. There's a voting game that goes along with it, and uh, it's uh, G's already up to about uh, three thousand members, and it just started, and it's a. Uh, so a, a great uh, new community online on Flickr for photographers. Fantastic. So that's Hotbox. Hotbox. Yep. Flickr slash groups uh, HBU. Perfect. Yes. Excellent. Jeffrey, do you, have a, do you have a good uh, pick for us? Yeah, I'm actually going to, I just mentioned it earlier, but I'm going to pick um, the, the version six of uh, phase one's Capture One Pro, uh, you know, raw processing uh, software. And I've been using Capture One for a long time, uh, probably Five years almost since I switched over to shooting with a phase one back. But in version six, they added some really nice tools. Um, particularly, I, I shoot architecture. And while I have, um, you know, what you call proper sort of in camera perspective control in my medium format system, uh, there are times when I'm shooting with a DSLR and maybe don't, don't have uh, the proper control of those things. So they have a great keystone correction tool in the software now. And sure, you can correct your perspective in Photoshop, but the, the brilliance of this keystone correction tool in Capture One is that you can, like any other adjustment, like color or, or exposure or anything, you can set it, and if you're shooting tethered, uh, each, each incoming capture will, will then have the keystone correction applied to it. So as you're oh, wow. making any compositional adjustments, uh, that keystone correction uh, is immediately applied. So for me, it was always a fussy thing. I always like to, I'm very particular about the edges of my photographs, and if you're doing correction after the fact, you don't know exactly what your edges are going to be. Right. So this particular tool is great, and they've also added... Uh, layers, not not quite as powerful as Photoshop layers, but still the same idea where you can add adjustments in layers. Right. Uh, they've added a spot correction where you can locally uh, change things, and they've added a great black and white tool with plenty of various color filters and, and all the usual uh, black and white adjustments. So it's become become you know, even more powerful than it was, and I suspect they have some more things up their sleeve uh, in some... Uh, now, if you're not using a Phase 1, you can still use the software? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, yeah, because I shoot also with a Canon... Uh, the 5D Mark II, and it 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 will it works with virtually every camera. I'm not sure exactly, but I know it tethers to Canon and Nikon. Uh, I think any camera that generally supports tethering uh, will work tethered. I also shoot with a, a Leica M9, which um, does not support tethering very well, so so therefore it's not tethered to any particular software. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it's just a great tool. I, I work on every picture I take flows through Capture One. So whether it be the Phase One back, um, I can process the Leica the Leica uh, M9 files through Capture One, but it just doesn't tether. So every picture I take really runs through Capture One. So it's a very uh, one-stop shop. So that's what I like about it. So I said, is it pretty expensive, or is it? I think it's like three hundred bucks. That's um, not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. I just paid ninety nine dollars for the upgrade, and that's the first upgrade I've had to pay for since I've been using. All the other upgrades have been free, so I, I didn't mind paying because they're they're a great company that they're doing some really good stuff. So uh, yeah, I recommend it to anybody because it's um, that especially anyone who you know may be shooting architectural work or, or does uh, perspective control corrections. Now you can really see them in real time as you're shooting, which is which is huge. That's great. So it's it's the Capture One raw processing. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called Capture One Pro. There's also Capture One um, Pro. Yeah, and it's the the new ver. I think it's six point one one is the I think is the current version of it. Uh, but yeah, this six point X whatever one is out there uh, at this great. point. Fantastic. Uh, my pick for the week, uh, I, I kind of got excited about it earlier and started talking about it. My pick for the week is the Apple TV 2. Uh, even mm. if the only reason that you buy it is to show photos on your, on your uh, HDTV. <laughs> so, so literally, I think my wife doesn't need to see any images at all. 
the, the, the power of this is that it integrates your iPhoto library, wherever it is in your house, uh, if it's on the network. Uh, it can integrate it to, your, um, to any of your TVs. And so we have two of them, and we have two TVs uh, here in the, uh, in the house, and, or in the two... It's kind of complicated, but there's two houses, and so there's two TVs, and there's two houses, and there's two Apple TVs, twos. And anyway, so the um, but I have one media center that has all of our movies and all of our images and music and everything else that that everything's all networked to. And uh, what's great is is that you know whenever they go to sleep, they just start playing pictures of the kids, <laughs> you know, pictures of the family and pictures of the stuff. And they and you know we have it set to just kind of that that kind of Ken Burns kind of slow push in, uh, you know, kind of fade from one to the other. And, uh, you know, the funny thing about that is, is that it just, uh, you know, there's, you know, I take a lot of photos. I probably take, you know, a couple hundred photos a, a week of my kids. And then they go into a library, <laughs> you know, and, and no one ever sees them again. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, someday someone will see them, but maybe not. Uh, but what happens is, is by building them up, you know, this is con- this constantly changing uh, active library that, uh, that, my, that my wife can enjoy, the whole family can enjoy, people enjoy when they come by. Uh, and, you know, I, I, as soon as that really started working, I, I really lost interest in getting, you know, a lot of these little digital um, photo frames. Oh yeah, no comparison. No yeah, comparison. I mean you're you're talking about. I mean I got a 46 and a 50 inch TV, uh, you know, and those two TVs, and now I have this massive these massive images, and and the pictures on my from my 5D look gorgeous on them, you know, and they just they look awesome, you know, and it's just this these huge images, and it's constantly changing, and and you know I've been threatening to put. Uh, Put a whole bunch of a whole bunch of little monitors with Apple TVs built into them, you know, on the wall, and then just have them all changing. And yeah. my wife said that would be too geeky. Yeah, so I've got, <laughs> I've, I've got two of them myself, and they're you know with the big large green plasmas, and you could have music playing in the background. Yeah. And uh, I like the origami transition even a little bit more than the oh, really? than, yeah than the other one. But there's a bunch of transitions for photos. It's such an eloquent way and such a great way to show photos off to people that are you know over visiting you at your house and uh, the kids. I love, that's my favorite thing to do pretty much almost every night at the end of the night, just well, sit back. And if you're a company, it's also a really, really, really easy way to take marketing photos and marketing videos and everything else and just have them play back sure. you know, on a big, sure. on a screen when, you, when, you wa- when you're walking. If you're a photographer, for instance, this is a cheap, easy way. You, know, you put a big LCD or, or plasma sc- screen in your, in your reception area or in the main office or whatever hook that to your media server you're just constantly adding great photos that you that you've taken over the last couple of weeks and it's just constantly changing those and so your clients if they're waiting get to see all that you know yeah not not to mention you can get netflix on it you can get Flickr on it you can get all kinds right. of other things yeah, evidently it evidently it plays movies and stuff like that too yes. I, i've heard you know you know so it's uh it's like a photography show though. yeah but this is a photography <laughs> right. show we're talking about the photography yeah, yeah. well well so. you know the only reason why i mentioned netflix is because the last thing i watched on that was a, a documentary on robert frank so there you go oh yeah oh, perfect. photography <laughs> good tie-in that's good well, well i have I, just I, for I, the I, record i did want to uh, get an apple tv but unfortunately my my tv system in my living room is a little bit older and, and doesn't have hdmi and um they tell yeah, me there's no a good way to connect it so yeah it does have to have hdmi yeah that's the one there, there is some converters and, and you can you can't watch the movies on it but you can use your photos if you go oh. through a converter but it's <laughs> yeah it's, it's not quite the same so um uh but yeah the older one i think actually does that uh has the analog outputs um, but the newer one does not yeah that's mm-hmm. a great pick alex it's great Thanks. great pick. Yeah. yeah so I, it's as i said it's, it's one of those things that whether you're a professional that you're using it in your office or or a or a um, uh, or just taking family photos and putting them up. It's just uh, it is the way, in my opinion, to put them put your photos in the living room. You know, you know, the, you know. The other thing where I think Apple really hit a home run with this thing is on the pricing on it too. Ninety nine bucks. I mean, that's a great price point for something like that. Well, given that a lot of us already have HDTVs, this is a ninety nine dollar upgrade to have this huge you know display of your of once again of your family. 
yeah. know, in your living room. You know, why not? Yeah. Wh- only and, and just you know, it's it's taking up space when you're not using your your TV, and then it just disappears when you are using your TV. You know, and it's just a it's a really uh, uh, great thing. I wish I could. The other the other great thing about the Apple TV, by the way, is you can run it with your iPhone, which is great because I yeah I don't lose my iPhone and I lose the control controller constantly so, so yeah, um, i think it, it was sort of that that missing link uh but you know as they say between like the home office and the living room yeah uh to, to tie in the, how people use their televisions with their computers and i think it, you know, it works I've, I've seen it in action even though i don't own one but uh it does it does work really well yeah all right hey, hey uh, jeffrey where can people find you uh my website is uh jeffreytotaro.com and also you can find me on twitter at the same jeffrey totaro and thomas where can people find you uh, probably the three best places to find me on my blog, which is just thomashawk.com, on Twitter, which is just thomashawk, and then uh, same thing with on Flickr, on Flickr at thomashawk. Fantastic. Uh, hey, everybody, you've been listening to This Week in Photo. Uh, take that lens cap off. Get out there and start shooting. <laughs> This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.